I'm willing to try anything to get my students interested in math, to get them to build their confidence in math. That's my biggest thing. I want my students to see themselves as a math learner. Hey, my name is Felix. I'm the host of the White Book Podcast, a weekly podcast powered by White Book, the creators of whiteboard notebooks and flip charts to transform problem solving. Each week, we invite educators like you to share their experience transforming their classrooms. In this episode, you'll learn how to encourage students to adopt vertical non-permanent surfaces, how to measure success of introducing a new model into your classroom, and how to get parents involved in the changes that you're introducing into your classroom. Today's episode, I'm joined by Trisha Fink from the Attleboro Public School in the Thames Valley School District for, and has been teaching there for the past 17 years. Welcome, Trisha. Thanks, Felix. So can you tell us more about yourself? What got you into teaching? So I actually started my career in the um, banking industry, in finance, and um, I just really felt a connection with um, kids. I enjoyed the math aspect of finance, but... Um, really wanted to do something with children, enjoyed, um, I had my own kids to begin with, and then just felt a need to, uh, to work with them. And so I uh, applied to teacher's college and uh, we just kind of went from there. Amazing. Do you remember what that first year was like? Tell us a bit more about that experience. Um, well, it was definitely um, an interesting experience. I started um, just supply teaching, and then um, just as the kind of everything fell together, I got what we call in our board a long-term occasional and was teaching grade two, and I just kind of had to jump right in. It was uh, um, kind of a it was a great experience, but um, I really had to. Um, figure things out for my, for myself. I had a lot of great teachers that I worked with who were, who was more, more, they were more than happy to help me, but, um, definitely had to, uh, sort a lot of things out, come up with your own program. Cause back then was when the new um, curriculums were coming in for Ontario. And so there wasn't a set guideline, um, uh, or, or resources that you just kind of started and ended with. So you kind of had to, to develop your own program. So that was an interesting experience. Mm-hmm. Now that you have more experience uh, in the 17 years that you've been working, looking back, what kind of advice would you give yourself as a first-time, first-year educator? Um, I, I think to not panic, that there's lots of wonderful people out there and there's lots of resources out there um, who will help you. So to just um, just ask the people around you for help because they're more than happy to, to give that to you. You don't have to do everything on your own. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. It's there. You just have to ask for that help. Mm-hmm. Can you say a little bit more about the model that you've decided to go with? Or what do you use in your classroom? So I would say that many years ago, I started with what we called the balanced. I, I started with a balanced math program. Some teachers from the Barry area had come up with it and it was very similar to a balanced language program so that you were, um, you know, helping the kids with their math facts, because that continues to be a struggle um, from 17 years ago till now. It, it continues to be a struggle. Um, so it, it incorporated some math facts. It incorporated problem solving. It incorporated guided instruction. So I continue to use that, um, but more of focusing on that problem solving model. And because that, to me, is one of the areas 
that we really need to help our kids with is that critical thinking aspect and how can we break down a problem to solve it. Got it. So has that evolved over time when you first, when this balanced model, has it evolved over time since you've introduced it into your classroom? It definitely has involved. So we used to work with um, a small group in the problem solving aspect. Um, and when it's me, for me, what has evolved is the idea of how we go about it. So instead of like putting them just in groups at tables is which w- what we started with. Now we get them up and we have them move around. And I find that when they move around and they're able to kind of um, do more of a, a walk around the classroom and, and see what other people are doing, not just their group, that has helped them develop more strategies to, um, to answer the questions and to have even just kind of a jumping off point so they know where to start. Mm-hmm. What have you found challenging about this model, specifically in the classroom, either with the students or just with uh, uh, individual students? What have you found challenging about implementing this, this model? I didn't run into a lot of um, resistance. They were willing to get up. They were willing to um, start to to work with that. And the one thing that they really enjoyed was that um, they could look at the other whiteboards to kind of get that idea of, oh, they're starting with that. That's may- that's maybe where we need to start. And then they could they could start to do things on their own or the idea of walking around the classroom, looking at what was already up around the classroom to give them those um, that starting point. Because a lot of times you'd put them in groups at tables and you'd have one group that just ran with the problem. They uh, they knew what strategy they wanted to use and they and they went away with it, whereas some of the groups, they just didn't even know where to start. So with them actually being up and around the classroom. Um, they can just kind of look around and they know it's not cheating. They know it's just a strategy to help them start to move mm-hmm. forward. And for the, the individuals that that may need, that have a harder time adopting the vertical non-permanent surfaces model, what, what ways have you been able to find or have heard of to help encourage these individuals to to get them to either try it out or to, to, to uh, uh, be more receptive to adopting it? So I can honestly tell you that when I first um, was introduced to this back in September, um, I was I was a little bit hesitant because, as I'm sure that you know, um, in a grade eight in a grade seven eight classroom, you can have many different um, levels that kids are at. So we have I have in my classroom I have kids that are working at a grade two level, and then I have kids that are working at a grade ten or eleven level. So that was concerning to me because I thought, okay, what happens when, um, you know, we we put them into random groups and I use a deck of cards to get them into their groups so that they know I'm not putting them in groups, that this is completely random. So I was a little bit concerned about, well, what would happen if all of my IEP kids get into one group or what happens when um, one of my um, gifted students gets into a group with one of my kids that are working at a grade two level. How is that going to work? Is one just going to take over? And um, so I was very, very skeptical about that. I thought that person would maybe just completely tune out and it, and it wouldn't work. But what I have found with my group, and and again, this might not work with all groups. But what I have found with the students that I'm working with right now is that the um, they've really communicated better together. So my, my gifted kids 
are really learning how to communicate with some of my kids that are struggling and helping them to work through the problem instead of just writing down the answer. Now, I still do have some of those students who just want to take the marker and write the answer and and uh, because they they want to get to the finish. But we have really developed kind of um, that idea of collaboration and helping them through it. So we still, I still run into some resistance. Some kids just want to sit down. They don't want to participate. I think you're going to run into that with every classroom. But if you can show them how they can, um, and if you can show them and not so much myself as the teacher showing them, but if their classmates can show them how they can contribute in some way, whether it be a small way or a larger way, um, they, it's building their confidence. I'm seeing that happen with a lot of my lower level students that their confidence is building. And so they want to participate in the, um, with the vertical non-permanent services. Mm -hmm. And when you were first introduced to, to this model, the vertical non-permanent services, what convinced you to try it out to, to, to bring it to your classroom? Um, to be honest with you, um, I, the reason why I wanted to try it is just, I'm willing to try anything to get my students interested in math to get them to build their confidence in math. That's my biggest thing. I want my students to see themselves as a math learner. And if there is any um, any resource out there, any type of technology that will um, encourage my kids to believe that they are math learners, then I'm willing to try it. Now, when you introduce a, a model or anything else that you've introduced into the, uh, into the classroom in the past, how do you like to measure if it was the right decision, if it was a successful decision to bring into the classroom? Um, so I measure a lot of my a lot of my success for my students based on their willingness to participate. So there's been times when um, we've I've introduced a, a different strategy um, that you can see right away that they have completely um, tuned out. Like I, they don't want to, they don't want to try this and you can see it because they're, they're not participating with the um, vertical non-permanent surfaces. What I have found is that the kids are up, they're, they're talking. And for me to go around and actually hear them talking about math instead of talking about what they did last night, that is a success for me. Mm -hmm. When you are when you, when you do some model like this, I'm I'm assuming that uh, parents are going to be want to be involved, where they start seeing uh, a new way that their student that their their sons and daughters are learning in school. How do you find this is an effective way to communicate and connect with the parents to make sure that they are kind of like partners or see at least behind the curtains and be confident in this new approach? So definitely, um, we want to make sure that we keep it parents involved in anything that we are doing with, with their, um, with their children. Because if you have parental support, um, then, then you're already, always one step ahead. Um, so I just try to keep open communication with them. Um, that if they have any questions with regards to what we're doing to, um, either come in and see what's happening, um, uh, <clears throat> I do try to take a lot of pictures of what is happening on the vertical non-permanent surfaces so that if parents do come in and, and ask what's going on, I can say, well, this is, you know, th this is what we're doing. This is what your child has done. This is what they have participated in. 
So I guess just really trying to keep um, lines of communication open and showing them um, that it's successful and hearing um, their children talk about some excitement in math and that they feel, again, that success that they're becoming a math learner. Um, to me, that that's, that's the proof right there. Mm-hmm. I know you had some, uh, you mentioned that you had some honest hesitations when you first started out with this, this approach and which, which played out to, to be, to be different. What about some challenges that maybe you didn't foresee come out that, that you had to kind of face and figure out as you implemented this new model? Um, I, I have to be honest with you with this group of kids that I have, um, they were, they were willing to, to try it. Um, I really didn't have a lot of resistance from my students. The idea of getting up and being able to write, they look at it as writing on the walls, right? Um, so the idea of getting up and being able to write and for them, the idea that looking at someone else's um, white book was not cheating was huge for them. They're like, you mean we can look at other people's things? One thing that I was concerned about definitely were how my um, IEP students were going to fit into this mix. And the biggest success story for me is that I um, have had I had one um, young lady who at the very beginning of the school year, when it came to math time, she would always ask to go to the washroom and she would stay in there the entire class. Um, since we started to use the vertical non-permanent um, surfaces, she is involved. She is involved. She um, is is wanting to express um, her ideas. Sometimes they're sometimes they're on the right track. Sometimes they're not. But she has this willingness to try and the willingness to ask her group members um, questions that will help her and to see the confidence that has, that she has for me has been such um, a reward in itself. So that was my biggest concern. Was I going to be met with resistance from those kids um, that they didn't feel that they could do this, but most of them have, um, have embraced it and feel more confident that there might be a small aspect that they can help with. And so they feel they are contributing, which they are, and um, it's boost their confidence. If you were to design the ideal physical design that is of a classroom, how does it look? How does it look uh, in terms of the, the, the tools that you're using, the way the desks are set up, the way that the classroom it, it looks? So I have been very fortunate. Um, I have a wonderful administrator and two years ago, um, he asked me if I would be part of the um, flexible seating. So in my classroom, I like to think that my classroom right now um, is pretty ideal for this model because I already have flexible seating. So I have high desks, I have stools, I have rocking chairs, um, my tables. um, So I don't have actual desks. They're mostly tables. And the tables are on wheels, so if I want to put them together or pull them apart, that works um, very nicely. Plus, with the um, vertical non-permanent surfaces, we can move all the desks into the middle so that there's enough room on the outside of the classroom 
that they can um, go to um, go to their boards to work. So um, I can see how uh, a traditional classroom with desks could be a little bit of a challenge because they don't move around as much. Um, A classroom that now I do have a lot of windows in my classroom. So I did find that a bit challenging because we had to put the, um, the vertical non-permanent surfaces up on the windows. So then that didn't let a lot of light in. We, we take them up and down because of the fact that my one entire wall is, is windows. So that was a bit of a challenge, but, but they're good. They, they've, you know, they're in a routine now. So they know that at the beginning of the day we have math. So the, the surfaces go up. And then when math is down, uh, when math is finished, we either take them down or we leave them up because I've found that um, the, some of the teachers that they have for other subjects, for language or science, they're wanting to use those surfaces now. So they they like them to be up because they they like to, you know, put them into groups and, and look at different aspects. So it's not just in math that they're using them now. They're using them in other languages or in other subject areas as well. Got it. For an educator out there that, that is interested in adopting the models that you've spoken about today, how do you recommend they begin? Like, what are some initial first steps that you would advise a, a, an educator to take? Well, if you're not doing anything with group work, you definitely have to start with putting them um, either with partners, start with um, some partnerships, because there has to be those skills of collaboration and working together together and having that understanding that everyone's opinion is valued. And I don't really feel that you can just throw them into a group of three or four people and um, hope it's just going to work from the beginning. So you definitely have to um, start with some partnerships and move towards group work. Um, And I would start with, I wouldn't start with very complex problems. And I would probably start with more um, cooperative things that uh, that interest the kids. So more cooperative game kind of things rather than throwing them right into um, math problems because there could be a lot of frustration involved in that if they're not sure of how to work in a group. Right. What about some of your favorite other resources or thought leaders that you follow or blogs that you follow that others that you can recommend to others that want to learn more? Myself, personally, obviously, Lily Dahl is uh, is someone who I've been um, looking at in the last um, in the last six months. Uh, Marion Small, I really enjoy all of her um, works and also Vandewall is um, another resource that I have used in the past. Got it. Because you're so open to trying new models, what do you think is next for the classroom? Like, What are some things that you would like to try next in your classroom? One of the things that I have found and my colleagues we have discussed is we would really like to have a bank of rich problems that we can go to for all of the different strands of math that we're supposed to teach Um, because coming up with those problems is, um, is definitely um, challenging because we want the problems to be um, relevant and we want the problems to touch on the, the concepts that that we're really trying to get at. So coming up with really rich 
um, problems is is a challenge. And we if if educators could get together and come up with a bank of those, that would be great. Um, moving forward, I think that this idea of problem solving in groups is is definitely going to, I don't think it's going to go away. It's definitely going to stay because that is the way the real world works. You don't usually just work individually. You work with a group and students I need to um, work on those skills because it, it is something they're going to use in life. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Trisha, coming on and sharing your experience. No problem. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the White Book Podcast, the podcast for educators that are transforming their classrooms powered by White Book. Visit whitebook.com to learn more.